Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and this episode feels somewhat topical, as I was joined by my good friend Zach Valenti to discuss Terry Gilliam's dystopian fever dream of a film, Brazil. I love talking about this movie with Zach, and don't worry if you haven't seen it, there are minimal spoilers, and also there's no way to really spoil it without seeing it. So hopefully if you haven't watched it yet, this episode will inspire you to do so. I say that the episode is somewhat topical because we are now living in what feels like an almost post-apocalyptic time right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I don't want to talk too much about it because if you're at all like me, you're living in what feels like a constant state of anxiety, but I did just want to take a moment to send out my support to everyone who has been touched by this in whatever way. First of all, thank you to all of the medical professionals who are out there being absolute champions right now in this unprecedented time. I hope that all of our listeners are safe and healthy above all, but I know that many of you are creators, performing artists, food service or retail workers who, like me, may have been laid off or lost work recently. So we don't have a sponsor this week, so I just wanted to take this time to ask you, If you are able to work from home and you feel financially stable, I encourage you to donate to an artist that you like or an arts organization or order takeout from a local restaurant or donate to your local food bank. This is a truly nightmarish time, but I'd like to think that the silver lining is that we are all coming together to support each other and becoming a better society and people during the process. And above all, if you can, stay home, listen to podcasts, and drink wine. And speaking of great people, thank you to our newest patron, Lisa Clues Wyman, who joins the ranks of all of our beautiful patrons, including our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Jacob Penfold, who would all probably be secret gorilla air conditioning repair people like Robert De Niro, and to our advanced producers, Mara Zobrist and Michael Beck, who would make great alternate casting choices for this film. I also wanted to give a big thank you on the show to the previously mentioned Rina Sarame, who sent us a donation on top of her monthly pledge this month because she is just the most wonderful and generous human being. Seriously, Rina, thank you so much. If you would like to join Rina and all of these wonderful and generous folks, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. And now, without further ado, because you've waited an extra week for it, here is episode 59, Brazil with Zach Valenti. Okay, I am so excited to have back on pairing, because you have heard him before here, the one, the only, Zach Valenti, who you may remember from our Prisoner of Azkaban episode, or perhaps you've heard on such podcasts as Wolf 359 and uh, No Bad Ideas and Focused as Fuck. Zach, welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you here. It's so great to be back <laughs> in your pod home. Yay! I know. We're in the, we're in the like, cross-country pod closet. Amazing. Is what I call it. <laughs> Except you have a real studio. We're I... in the cross Brooklyn pod cave. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. 
Uh, well, I'm so excited because we've been talking about having you back on Pairing for a while now, and I think we're both very excited to talk about a little film called Brazil. 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 Yeah, you can't just say Brazil. You just you have to you have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> that song's been stuck in my head ever since I saw this stupid movie that I love. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so it's so great, and um and there's so much to talk about in it. But I did want to start off because I think this is one that folks are kind of less likely to be totally familiar with compared to some of the other episodes that I've done here on pairing. So if you were if you would be willing to give just a little general background on the movie because it is buck wild. <laughs> I, I will do my best. Okay, so. It takes place in a high-tech future where nothing works. Yep. <laughs> um, and it centers on this dude named Sam Lowry, uh, mm. who... Played by Jonathan Price. Yes. Excellently, if I might add. Yes. Um, yes. Who basically is a cog in this kind of bizarre, totalitarian, bureaucratic nightmare world. Yes. Not yeah. unlike our own. And mm-hmm. uh, and he has a problem, which is that uh, in addition to like sort of daydreaming about escaping his life and having mom mommy issues and all these things. Oh, yeah. Uh, he his ducts in his apartment kind of get, you know, messed up. Um, mm-hmm. And so he he gets a visit from a renegade plumber. Uh, Har- <laughs> Harry Tuttle, played by Robert De Niro, um, yep. <laughs> who is being chased by the sort of, you know, faceless law enforcement of this world. And we actually, yeah. like, the there's a whole frame story at the beginning of the movie where uh, because of a bug flying into a, like, mechanical typewriter, mm-hmm. one of the warrants... A literal bug. Yeah, literal fly... <laughs> Yeah. Like kind of gets like caught up in a <laughs> shitty mechanical typewriter that miswrites Harry's Harry Tuttle's name on a warrant for his arrest, mm-hmm. writing a B instead of an H, and that silly mistake that of course nobody sees because nobody's really looking ends up in right. ruining Mister Buttle's whole life yeah. um, yep. <laughs> to the point, and I'm seriously spoiling the movie now. Um, to the point where, and just to give you an, like a um, sense of the cartoonness of the universe, like yeah, he is abducted from his home in a way where they like leave a hole in his ceiling that they like fly yeah. the super troopers fly through, and then they like leave his family with a bill after he's like yeah. found not guilty but also killed. It's it's all over the place. It's it's so wild, um, and and that all happens fairly early in the movie. So I think that's not giving away too much. It's a fever um, dream of a movie. It's kind of impossible to spoil. Yes, because none of those facts are like relevant to the plot at some level. Right. It's it's a movie where like the plot, quote unquote is less important than just the kind of aesthetics. And, and the way it makes you feel. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, just I, I think that's a great description of, of the movie. Um, just for a little background, it is directed by Terry Gilliam. Yes. Who, who, if you don't know, was the American member of Monty Python and has gone on to direct... 
several films and has a very kind of weird, wild, Kafka-esque aesthetic to many of his films, I would say. And um, this one, none more so than this one. And I just want to say at the outset, because some stuff about Terry Gilliam has recently come to light that he's like not a great ally for the Me Too movement. He said some pretty shitty things a couple years ago. A bit of a smelly dick as a as a person. <laughs> yeah, he seems like kind of a dick and uh <laughs> definitely like not great about how he treats women and women characters. But that all being said, this film is still incredible. And so I was because I I I've seen it many, many times, but I haven't seen it in, I don't know, at least a few years. And so I was just like doing a little reading to like remind myself and brush up on it. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of comparisons were drawn between this movie and uh, 1984, which is obviously a book, but it's very similar, like this kind of dystopian industrialized world, but where I love, I love the point that you make where nothing actually works. Right. Right. You're like watching these ridiculous commercials on their, like the TV within the universe where they're like, do you hate your ducts? Get more beautiful ducts. And it's like, what are all these ducts for? And it's like, you know, they say the internet's a series of tubes. Well, that world is a series of tubes. That world is that internet. No, Siri, I don't want you. That's so no funny. Siri. Series of tubes sets off Siri. Siri. Sorry, everybody. Oh, with an oh. <laughs> Siri. Siri heard her name yeah. in a series of tubes. <laughs> That's uh, that feels That's too sort meta. of appropriate. <laughs> too, it's real. too meta. Too real. It breaks my brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had a couple of different ideas for wine pairings for Brazil. I'm so um, interested. <laughs> yeah. And so the first one. Okay. Well, the first one I'm going to talk about is just kind of connected to the title of the movie, which Uh, is Brazil. And the movie has nothing to do with the country of Brazil. Absolutely nothing. It's only that song. It's only because of the song. I think it's like an old song. I think it is. And I think it was, I was looking it up. um, it, It is written by a Brazilian musician i believe but at least the version in this movie i think is performed by a british singer i see um i can't find the name right now oh yeah aquarela do brazil i'm sorry for my terrible portuguese pronunciation um is the name of the song Yes, and yep, that's the theme. That's the theme. And it's very, oh, it's so perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> but, like, that's so much part of the movie that, like, yeah, the plot is not important. So the title of the movie doesn't really have anything to do with the <laughs> plot of the movie. It just, this is a song that plays. <laughs> um, and, and is, like, part of Sam's kind of internal world also. Ar- Ari Barroso is the is the guy who wrote the song and it is performed by Jeff Moldauer. Hmm. Okay. Cool. But so just so I made this sort of convoluted connection in my head that okay, well even though the movie has nothing to do with Brazil, Brazil the country is a country where they speak Portuguese 
let's talk about Portuguese wine because that's just as connected as as Brazil, as the name of the movie is to the plot of the movie. Take us there. Um, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, why not? That that was where my brain went. Sometimes, I, and I've said this in some recent episodes of pairing, sometimes my pairings don't make sense, but you can just roll with it. <laughs> and the, by the school of improv, uh, there's a game called A to C, where you hear something, uh-huh. you associate it with something, and then you associate that with something else and say that. Mm, I that's think sort of we just like A to C our pairing. <laughs> 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 yes, this is the A to C of pairing. <laughs> From Brazil to Brazil the country to Portugal to Portuguese wines. There we are. <laughs> um, and I've talked a little bit about Portuguese wines on the podcast before, um, but I did want to go into a little bit more detail um, because Portugal is a really interesting wine region because it's sort of, even though it's so close to Spain, it's, and it has some similarities to some Spanish wine, it really kind of developed in isolation from Spain um, and has a lot of its own indigenous grape varietals. And so if you get a bottle of Portuguese wine, it is very unlikely that you will recognize any of the names of the grapes on the bottle because they're only really found in Portugal. So grapes like Tinta Roriz, Trincadera, Toriga Nacional, things like this, which they're not like, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm just taking notes. This is, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, are, yeah. are they are there equivalents? There are some equivalents. Some of them, like I believe, Toriga Nacional. I have to. I'll have to fact check this. But Toriga Nacional, which is one of the most frequently found red grapes in Portugal, I believe, is related to Tempranillo, the grape in, um, or it could be Tinta Roriz. It's one of those grapes that is like related to Tempranillo, which is the main grape of. Spain and Rioja. Hey there, so I fact-checked this. It is in fact Tinta Roriz that is not just related to, but is in fact the same grape as Tempranillo, just by a different name. Not just that, but while the grape is known as Tinta Roriz in the Douro and Dao regions of Portugal, it is also called Aragonés in the Alentejo region of Portugal. I'll talk a little bit more about those regions later. Nerdy wino Emma out. Now I just want the pairings like like wine translation graphic. For yeah, I know, I know. Well, sometimes wine. sometimes that happens where it is actually the same grape and they just call it something different. They just have, yeah. you know, obviously different word, right. names for it. Yeah, in different languages. But as far as I understand it, most of these Portuguese grapes are fairly unique, unique or at least indigenous to Portugal, which is really cool. Fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. Also, uh, if you haven't listened to, I did a solo episode um, with Brandon Grugel, and we played a game called uh, Star Wars Character or Portuguese Grape. <laughs> oh my God, that's so wonderful. I love Brandon. It was really fun. <laughs> oh, good bean. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're like me and aren't like super well-versed in like the depths of star wars lore okay. like i know the main movies but i don't know like all the clone wars the books or, like, the books yeah, yeah exactly so like there's a bunch of characters that i, I didn't t- know two of the book audio books so i feel like i uh-huh. can pretend like i know things but i don't really yes. know things yes 
<laughs> I'm sure you'd know better than I would. Star Crusher. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. But it was it was a fun game because let me see if I can find some more names of Portuguese grapes. Well, there's Alvarino, Hassal, Lurero. Wow. Uh like all these all these really fun weird weird grapes that make really really great wine and mm. as of now portuguese wines i think for the quality that they are are significantly less expensive wow than yeah than than grapes uh, and or i should say wines from Spain, Italy, France just because the other countries have a little bit more of a history of uh, I guess exporting and kind of huh. marketing their wines sure. more. I forget if I said this the last time I was on, but my context uh-huh. for wine was cracking open my dad's Wine for Dummies book a couple times to try to learn me something. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a great book. That's actually a great place to start. Oh shit! Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. No. It no. Of... It's actually it, it's actually really well written. I forget who who writes that one but we had it in one of the wine shops that I worked in and I read it or I read parts of it I was like oh this is actually like really good information and this is a really good place to start I'll let Angela know (laughs) yeah um the other book that I recommend to people if you're if you're interested in like learning more about wine is um it's called Windows on the World by Kevin Zarelli Z-R-A-L-Y. That's a that's another really good one. It's a little bit more geared towards people like in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because so it's kind of like a good introductory book if you're gonna be taking tests and stuff like that. But it's also just really good information in there. And it's well written and it's fun. Cool. But my favorite my favorite wine book is The Wine Bible by Karen McNeil. Because she she writes about wine like it's poetry and I love it. <laughs> I, I wish it were written in like, you know, uh, Cabernet 1, you know, verse 20. <laughs> just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be that, that would really take it to the next because level. Because it was delicious. Because yeah. <laughs> the tannins were off the charts. <laughs> oh, man. Now now I'm getting ideas for, for you know, if I ever write a wine book. <laughs> <laughs> the wine Old Testament. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Full credit given to Zach Valenti for inspiration. <laughs> okay, but that's just like, that's a little, I guess the only other thing I'll mention about Portuguese wine for now is that there's a few different regions. So, you know, usually on a Portuguese wine label, it's not going to say the grape on there because people don't know them. And so it will say probably either Douro which is the same region that port comes from. So port mm. port is pretty famous and pretty well known, but there's a lot of still wine that comes from that region. So there's Douro, there's Dao, D-A-O, and um, Lisboa or Lisbon and Alentejo. Those are kind of the main main names that you'll see on a wine label. And probably the most famous wine other than port coming from Portugal is Vino Verde. Okay. Which is a white wine that is slightly effervescent. And huh. um, you can actually, you can have rosé Vino Verdes too. So white or pink. Dry, usually pretty low in alcohol and slightly effervescent. And I think that Vino Verde is a great wine for Brazil. That also sounds like abundantly my thing. I love that. It's my favorite summer just like sipping 
wine because it's really refreshing. It's still dry, but it's and it's usually very inexpensive. And so it's uh, it's super it's super good. Highly recommend checking it out. Bookmarking for this summer. Yeah, exactly. Next time I come to New York, I'll I'll Ooh. bring over a bottle of Vino Verde. Well, thank you. <laughs> of can, course. Can I suggest a nightmare drink? Yes. For this nightmare movie? Yes. Okay. So uh, is everybody familiar with um, uh, Absinthe? I personally am familiar okay. with Absinthe. And... But like the old school kind with like yeah. the psychotropic wormwood yeah. component. So, so that is the base. Um, uh-huh. th- then I would uh, find the highest THC level infused vodka <laughs> you can get your hands on. <laughs> Put in at least two shots, but really like, you know, poor to taste. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you know how uh, some tequila bottles have like a thing at the bottom, like yeah, the the like little scorpion or yeah, whatever. Some, something like that. Um, yeah, uh, I would recommend <laughs> a uh, a psilocybin mushroom, um, and uh, yes. you just kind of let it sit for you know, uh, just forget about it for like a couple years, and then come back yeah. and whatever is left in that jar, drink that, <laughs> then watch the movie. That. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Oh my god! And if you don't have access to that, just watch the movie, and you'll probably feel like you had that drink anyway. <laughs> you'll probably feel the effect of that. Yes, absinthe is probably a perfect pairing for this movie because it is kind of like a weird fever dream. The whole thing that is so perfect. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> my pleasure, uh, children uh, slash adults. Drink it yeah. your own. Uh, d- don't drink it. <laughs> yeah, drink drink Just, responsibly. Yeah. By which we mean don't drink that. <laughs> don't drink that. <laughs> I I have had absinthe before, but I don't think it was like the real stuff. Yeah. Because I like I've had cocktails with absinthe in them, and like. I kind of felt funny afterwards, but I think I think it was just sort of in my head, like kind of placebo effect of like, oh, I'm drinking absinthe. This is going to make me feel all trippy and weird. No, it probably just mostly made me feel drunk, which <laughs> yeah. is its other purpose. I was fixated on absinthe in high school for whatever reason. And, uh-huh. uh, and mostly what got legalized is this thing called absinthe, which mm-hmm, doesn't have... Mm-hmm the sort of psychedelic components in it um and when it did become legal it was very hard to get and i really don't trust the czech websites that you could order it from no offense to the czech (laughs) no no not at all i don't think i've ever sold like true absinthe i've sold things that were kind of like absinthe knockoffs right right so but yeah i i could be totally wrong on this one but i think that like true absinthe used to have wormwood in it Mm -hmm. and wormwood is like super poisonous or has some poisonous qualities to it and so i think they stopped doing that (laughs) well so my Um, my understanding is why absinthe made artists go blind back in the day was actually because of the bootleg aspect of the liquor and not the wormwood although it sounds like wormwood sort of got the got the blame yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think that I think that it's sort of an urban legend that that absinthe is the cause of it was it was blindness. I think but, so. Among I other think problems. I think that I think you're right. I think you're right. I'd have to I have to do more research. Um no which worries. sounds uh, sounds like lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> While I watch Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's that is a perfect, perfect pairing, making much more sense than my my weird Portuguese wine connection. <laughs> Equal sense in different directions. Yes, exactly, exactly. The only other main wine connection I was going to make uh, is that because it takes place in this like highly industrialized world, mm-hmm. um, a lot of what I've talked about on on the podcast and just in the wine world in general is like the industrialization of wine. Mm. Um, and so I think that actually, and so there's kind of this counter movement to... You know, because there's all these big wineries in California and Argentina and kind of everywhere at this point that they're just trying to, like, churn out the exact same product every every year. You know, they're going for consistency over quality um, and over, like, individuality, I guess, in a wine. And so that's something that, you know, gets a lot of criticism because there's a lot of, like bad practices used in that often. Um, not always, not always, but like, you know, I highly caution you against drinking Franzia. Um, <laughs> they found traces of actual arsenic in it. Oh my God, um, really? Yeah, I'm so yeah, glad so, I never did Tour de Franzia. Me oh, too, God. me too. Sorry, that was a, uh, uh, yeah, an annual event at our college, Wesleyan, uh, that yeah. would regularly... Uh, flood the hospitals nearby where basically small teams of like three to six had to finish an entire bag of Franzia in the course of hitting various sites on campus. It was uh, not a good look. Apparently fun, if that was your thing. Uh, I had a lot of fun sitting on my balcony, sipping a tea, laughing. Me too. And enjoying the costumes. They also wore costumes. (laughs) I never never partook in in Tour de Franzia. I had some friends who did, and they had a good time and luckily didn't go to, to the, the hospital. hospital or die. Yeah, Jesus. Ugh. But yeah, the, I mean, part of that is just, you know, obviously drinking too much. Fair. But part of it is that Franzia is like super, super bad for you. <laughs> that is a surprise. Um, Not a surprise, but the arsenic just in that God. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't <sighs> think that's anymore. I think that was like a while ago that they okay. found that. And so I'm sure they've kind of <laughs> good on you, <changed>. Franzia. <laughs> Yeah, way to way to really <laughs> way to step not up. kill people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after being very dangerous, Jesus. Yep. 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 Not great. Not great. But so what I thought would be actually a good pairing for <laughs> well, you could you could just drink like a whole bag of Franzia and that might, you know, complement <laughs> your your Brazil experience, but I think I, that you I, should I save it for that. after for the feels. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think actually a better pairing would be what is this kind of counter movement to that industrialization of wine is what we call, quote unquote, natural wine. Mm. And I have a lot of problems with the term natural wine because it kind of doesn't mean anything. And it's really hard to define what exactly natural wine is but basically you know it's wine made with minimal intervention usually organic or biodynamic practices low or no added sulfites you know natural yeasts you know like all these things which sometimes make really really awesome wines and sometimes make kind of weird not great wines Mm -hmm. um, or wines that can't really survive for a long time just because they weren't made well or um, 
or for for various various other reasons. So so I have I have mixed feelings about the the like terminology of natural wines, but generally speaking, like I'm pro. You enjoy yourself a natural wine. I do enjoy myself a natural wine, and often um, if you've heard of orange wines, um, often Never. orange wines. You haven't heard of orange wines? Made okay, out of cool. Oranges. No, they're made from grapes, but they're called orange wine. So the way I describe it is, so rosé is red grapes made like a white wine. So red grapes that see like just a teeny bit of skin contact to give them that color. And then, and then the, the, the grape skins go away. Orange wine is white grapes made like a red wine. So it, they use white grapes but let them sit on their skins for a really long time. And it kind of gives them not always an orange hue, but like a dark mm. yellow kind of golden orange hue. And they're very funky and weird tasting. Interesting. Um, yeah, super interesting. I highly recommend checking them out. Um, you are well situated to do so, Zach, because uh, <laughs> last time I was in New York, I went into a – or. Uh, in Brooklyn specifically, I went into a, like a small wine shop and like a third of their wines were orange wines. Whoa. And, yeah. I was like, do you, do you like make money from this? Like, is this a good business strategy? But it's very trendy right now. Huh. So there are, and, and like anything, there are really, really good ones and there are some that are not so great. I see. So. But I highly recommend trying them because they're weird and different. And I think that orange wines are a very good pairing for Brazil just because they're so, like, so not what you expect from a, from a wine, huh. um, what you expect a wine to taste like. Do you have any comparisons? Yeah. So the closest I can, I can make a comparison to I think is almost like a fortified wine like sherry or something like that. Okay. So kind of they're kind of nutty. They have like this nutty quality to them, but they're they're not fortified, so they don't have any other alcohol added to them. Um, and that's kind of the difference between sherry and uh and some of these fun funky wines. They taste uh they're they're usually unfiltered, so they're kind of cloudy. So they have like a kind of more viscous texture to them, and love, love a viscous texture. I know a good viscous <laughs> texture. <laughs> Viscosity really pushes my. I know I'm gonna be like abort this joke. No, no, it's good. It's good. I'm with you. <laughs> um, and so and so there. So between this kind of like, but the closest, the equivalent I would give it, like if you've ever had a hazy IPA. Okay. Um. So like a kind of juicy but hazy unfiltered beer. Mm-hmm. It's not they usually don't have carbonation to them. Sometimes they do, but um but something kind of like that. That's the kind of closest equivalent that I can give it in terms of flavor. It's almost actually it's almost like a sour beer sometimes if you've had kind of a my fun, favorite funky... beer. I know, I love sour beer. Completing beers too. my that fucking hipster life. <laughs> Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta really own your fucking hipster Look, life, and it pairs and get well you some with a man bun. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'll leave. <laughs> no, no, um, but no, I, I I recommend checking it out. And Brooklyn is definitely the place where you can find them there for some reason because it's really hard to get orange wine. I I barely see them, 
out here in New Mexico. It was hard in, to get them in Colorado. And when they and when we could get them, they were like the really, really expensive ones. But there are mm. some out there that are not that expensive. So I can't remember. Uh, I wish I could. I wish I could remember some to recommend. But I did taste one from Austria the other day, an Austrian orange vine, and it was really good. I can't remember the name of the producer, but uh, but if you see an Austrian orange wine out there, try it. Maybe it's the same one. I will. Yes. Okay, so that's th- those are sort of the wine thoughts I have, though I do think that absinthe takes the cake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. I wanted to I wanted to talk about I want I I just had a couple of thoughts about the movie that I I, yeah. I don't have any like coherent thoughts about them, but I more just well, wanted to the, like remember the tagline of this thing is sometimes the only sane response to reality is to go insane is to like lose your yep. <laughs> lose yep. your mind so like <laughs> makes sense <laughs> yep yep makes sense totally and i think so so one of the questions i had for you and you mentioned this a little bit earlier in in that how sam has like kind of mommy issues um but <laughs> there's death not just one de- <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> several but so but so like I'm I'm curious to hear what you think because I'm not sure. Like the first time I watched the movie, I was really aware of this, mm-hmm. but like he definitely has a kind of male savior fantasy right. going on in his in his dreams, and I I just I I was curious to hear what you think about like kind of the the treatment of that and like yeah because I think I think it's purposeful and I think that Terry Gilliam is like. For all that he may be shitty in kind of some of his treatment to women, I think he is a very much aware of kind of like the ridiculousness of mm-hmm. this whole kind of savior fantasy. Right. I don't know. I, I really like Jill's character. And I think he he writes in that instance like a, like a badass um, that yeah. like interrupts the fantasy. Uh, so basically... Uh, one of the things I left out in the earlier summary is there is a love interest, which is the neighbor of Mr. Buttle, the guy who gets yes. wrongly arrested, who has her floor cut open so that the commandos can go nab him. And so for the rest of the movie, yeah. she's like waving to the like now widowed woman below her, like through this hole in her bathroom. Yeah. Um, yeah, like she's taking a bath and they just right. come in and cut a hole in her floor. <laughs> right. And and for whatever reason, by the magic of storytelling, she happens to have the same exact face as a woman that appears in um, in Sam Lowry's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And thus, when they cross paths, he is like immediately like obsessed and, you know, kind yeah. of stalks her and tries to get involved in resolving her problems and and basically, it just, like, gets weird fast. I, I'm not sure where to go yeah. from there. Yeah, it definitely gets weird fast. And I think that probably at the time the movie was made, it there was probably less of a response to, to right. that kind, it, kind of behavior. It's pretty, like, I feel like classical Hollywood action hero stuff. But he is yes. not, like, he's trying to play that role. And he is a toothpick. Um, yep. <laughs> with bad coordination. Um, <laughs> yes. Quick sidebar, but kind of related to that. Apparently, 
they considered for this role Tom Cruise. No. Which is, oh, man. I, you know, I just read that I on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to, had, I'd have Ugh. to verify that. But that would have been the polar opposite choice. Yeah. What a fucking mistake that would have been. Ugh. I, yeah, no, that would have lost me, I think. And I feel yeah. like he got his day of weirdness and vanilla sky for whatever the fuck that was about. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But but Tom Cruise in this movie Ugh. would not have made sense. Like, I, I, so I think there's like a certain amount of the same thing that gets worked out in Fight Club done with like more of a cartoony, round-edged sort of uh, uh, approach here. Of like, yeah. what is the like relation? Like, what is masculinity in an era of like sort of white collarness? Um, yeah, like, yeah, you know, where like where do you get to sort of feel alive in a world of mm-hmm. sort of pushing paperwork and like you know uh, just kind of being a cog in a machine? Um, right, right. And uh, I think that there are definitely blind spots in the film. Um, And for the recent headlines that we've gotten about Terry Gilliam, I do feel like it's surprisingly progressive um, in the way that it handles Jill being like, fuck you, dude. Um, And it's like the whole movie is sort of like wrapped in like it's Sam's subjectivity Mm -hmm. in a lot. So like as the movie progresses, like what is real gets really distorted and hard to sort of follow and where it's just like his dream world and the real world are merging. And so I think like some of the, like the parts in the movie where like she is overly uh, quote unquote, overly feminine, like sort of like a caricature of like a damsel in distress or like this sort of like, you know, uh, basically like, you know, sex doll character um yeah I feel playing, like is, playing very much an archetype of of like the damsel in distress right like i feel like it's asked to be read as like a distortion but i i would need to rewatch the movie with a really fine tooth comb to make any like definitive statement in that direction but uh yeah, me too but i but question? i appreciate i think i think all your thoughts are very insightful about kind of how it's done and how it's complicated in the movie and like knowing what we do about Terry Gilliam kind of in might inform because I haven't, I haven't watched the movie since, you know, mm-hmm. he said those things. Right. And so, or I was aware that he said those things. And, and so like, I would be interested to, to go back and like rewatch it apparently also. Cause I, I do agree. I think that I, you know, the real character of Jill, not the, not the, uh, kind of fantasy dream world character she she's really well written and like very strong and very much like the opposite of that that kind of fantasy fantasy and archetype but apparently and this is another thing like i wouldn't have known necessarily but because i was doing some reading about it apparently um and the actress's name who plays her is kim greist i believe is yes how you say her name i do believe um and and I thought she's very good in it, but apparently Terry Gilliam did not like her performance and so cut a lot of her scenes from the final cut. And I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the version that I have that I first saw is the director's cut. So it's a 
bit longer than I guess the theatrical release was. Can I ask you a spoilery question? Yeah. Do you remember the ending? Okay, I cut out the part here where we talk about what the ending actually is, but basically we determined that the ending I saw was only in the director's cut, and there was a totally different and far inferior ending in the theatrical release. Knowing that, let's get back to the conversation. It's like the worst ending yeah. ever, and it's just like amazing what a minute of film will do. Yeah, uh, yeah, that <laughs> that is, because that totally, totally, totally changes everything. Yeah, you want to stick um, the landing and, you know, and go yeah. dark with this movie. Yeah, no, I can't I can't imagine if if it had ended that way that that like I would feel so cheated. <laughs> <laughs> just from just from the whole the whole world of it. Just to to reiterate, apparently the ending in the theatrical version is very different from the ending in the director's cut yes. and I have only seen the director's cut and it is from what you just told me Zach it is much better <laughs> oh my god night and day yeah. night and day wow so yeah so if you watch this movie and if you haven't watched it before watch the director's cut I'm pretty sure that like that's what's available now on you know like if you get it on Amazon or you know whatever streaming service it might be on i'm pr i'm pretty sure that that's the version that is there um but you know if you're if you're old school and order it on like a dvd or something <laughs> remember those things i have it on vinyl yeah <laughs> laser disc laser disc it's coming oh, back man, i remember la do you remember laser disc oh i remember laser disc we yeah, had to use my, them my dad a certain... had a whole bunch of movies on Laserdisc. Oh, we never owned it, but uh, we had it in film school. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, my dad had actually had some movies on Laserdisc. I wonder what happened to those and the whatever the Laserdisc player was. <laughs> <laughs> They're in laser heaven um, with all the laser cats. Yeah. Oh, it's true. Laser Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like that really fits into the world of Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the uh, the very neon heavy logo and aesthetic. Yes, definitely. So yeah, and I just wanted to mention a couple other like big names that are in this movie. So we mentioned uh, obviously Jonathan Price, who at this point, this was kind of his breakthrough film, I think. Like I think he'd been in some things but wasn't like super famous, you know. And and he's had a he's had a really cool and fun career. And uh so obviously Jonathan Price, Robert De Niro, might have heard of him. Uh Michael Palin, who is another member of Monty Python. He's he's like the bad guy in it. Ian Holm, who plays Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Uh, obviously, uh near and dear to my heart. And Bob Hoskins is also in it. <laughs> um, it's just, it's a great cast. It's a really great cast. And you can tell that they're all kind of having fun with this totally weird movie. <laughs> Let's see, who else? I'm not sure that, I don't, I don't know what else she was in, but I just remembered the character of, of Sam's mother, who's constantly getting plastic surgery. <laughs> yep. Yep. Not too far off from the world we're in, but it's like done in this really like 
very like German expressionist way. It's like her, visceral. Her face. It's visceral and in close up. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, Jim Broadbent is in it. He's the plastic surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. Uh, most of these other actors, I don't necessarily recognize them. Did you say Mac- Michael Palin yet? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah. great. Um, and he's uh, he's kind of the bad guy in it. Or, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of bad guys in it, but he... I feel like the bad guy is paperwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. But he kind of, like, represents yes. that, that whole world. No, he is definitely uh, not a helper. No, no, he's not. He's definitely not. It's just, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this, but apparently, whoa, Madonna was considered for the role of Jill. Whoa. That would have been different. Can you imagine if it was like- Tom Cruise and Madonna? (laughs) Yeah. What the hell? Very different movie. It'd be a banger, but it would not be this. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I guess, I guess like the direction that that would have been is like really leaning into like the, the like action hero fantasy aspect of it. Yeah. Though, the though I'm trying to think because this movie was made in 1985. Like, yeah. had Tom Cruise done a lot at that point? I can't. I don't remember. know. He's not awkward enough for this role, though. No, like, so not much at of all. it. Like lives and dies on Sam Lowry's lanky uncomfortableness. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Jonathan Price does just such a good job at it. Seriously, and he. I, I feel like he was born for the role. Yeah, he's perfect for it. Um, this is a quick sidebar, but did you see? Uh, oh my God, what was it called? The like the man who killed Don Quixote that came no. out. It, it's it's also Terry Gilliam. It only came out in theaters for like one night, um, and it's about it's with Jonathan Price as play uh, playing Don Quixote, but it's also it's also very meta where it's like Adam Driver's playing a director making a movie about Don Quixote. I need to see this. Oh, this looks. I need so to. Good. I really. I want to see it so bad. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's sort of based on because Terry Gilliam tried to make this movie. He's been trying to make the Don Quixote movie for like thirty years or something, <laughs> oh, wow. and for whatever reason, it just kept not happening, and so he finally made it. And I guess just released it for like one night in theaters. I guess so that it could play in awards or something. I don't know. I guess. There's a whole politics of making movies that I'm woefully in the dark about. Oh yeah, me too. I don't I don't get the I don't get it at all. Came out in two thousand eighteen. I've gotta be able to watch it somewhere, right? Everything's everything's on the internet now. Looks like it's streaming for free on Crackle. And okay. it looks like it is available for purchase and rent on iTunes and those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. And all those. Oh, yeah. I see that. Oh, look at that. Huh. All right. Well, we're definitely going to have to check this out. There goes 15 of my dollars. Because it looks, in the vein of Terry Gilliam, wild and weird and sort of unfinished in many ways, I think. But- if anybody listening is a fan of Monty Python, he was mm-hmm. responsible for those wacky surreal cartoons yes i think that was like his primary primary contribution to that Mm -hmm. world and i think that that 
expression sort of finds a fuller, uh, like just, you know, more time to spread out in in his own movies. Totally. Yeah. No, if you grew up watching Flying Circus, like it will make sense to you. Like Brazil will make sense to you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've watched those weird cartoon uh, transitions, which I did grow up watching Monty Python's Flying Circus. And so it, I feel like that is sort of a part of my brain and the way my brain works. <laughs> so, and talk about A to C, the the connections in, isn't that the name of the improv? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. The connections in Monty Python's Flying Circus are very much like. <laughs> all over the place. All over the place. A to C all day. <laughs> yep, yep. And now for something completely different. Um, <laughs> so good. Ugh, now I just want to watch Monty Python too. Yeah, let's see. What else What else is there? I mean, I feel like, you know, there's so much that you could unpack in this movie and talk about in this movie. But is there any other main big thing that you had to, to mention about it? So I, I guess like just for maybe a little bit more context, I yeah. uh, used this film in a independent study in high school that my friend and I finagled. Oh, cool. We actually uh, were denied this independent study from oh, the no. administration. And so uh, we went renegade and uh, <laughs> convinced our English teacher in a different film and TV class that was like had its own curriculum to just uh-huh. like l- like let us check in the first day and then just make sure that he knew that we were going to this other room and watching Brazil on repeat. <laughs> wow. Just like, like very meticulously mapped out like all of these weird open-ended things of like there's this like kind of MacGuffin-y character that like is following Sam around, but he doesn't uh-huh. know if it's real uh-huh. or if he's just going crazy and, mm-hmm. and just like trying to find like, like paintings that match some of these, like the, it, we just went for broke, like over analyzing the crap out of this movie. <laughs> That's amazing. And that also feels very much in the spirit of Brazil to like yeah. watch it in a room and to like, <laughs> to, like, go to the place with the paperwork and be like, can we get a stamp of approval to study this? And they're like, no, reject it. And we're like, no. damn it, we're going to do it. The, we're going to do it anyway. We're yeah, gonna yeah. <laughs> that is great. I love Harry it. Harry Tuttle will save us. Yes, um, he will. <laughs> and uh, and he did. Um, and I don't know. It's just like, I think this is one of the first movies that really stretched my imagination of what you could do through the medium of cinema. Um, Absolutely. And like just these little moments of like perspective trippiness where Mm -hmm. like you're you're like on this close up shot of these nuclear power plants that look super clean and beautiful. And then this like dirty bum's face comes into the screen and and like it's revealed that it's actually a like cute little model of a much dirtier facility Uh that you then see in reality. And it's, you know, it's just like the way that it plays around with your visual subjectivity to make a, a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, yeah. Really kind of captured my imagination at that age. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I, I mean, you know, then there's like stupid little details that I like glom onto. Like there, he keeps getting the same gift throughout the movie from yeah. everybody that vaguely cares about him. That he, nobody right. can figure out what it is or what it does, but it it's like kind of one of those silly things that goes in your desk, like those like mm-hmm. balls that hit each other and kind of like smack back and forth. And whenever he gets it, they're like, it's for an executive. Yeah. And whenever, oh, that's right. whenever I see 
like a bizarre new fidget spinner design. I always <laughs> laugh to myself a little bit because in my head I just hear it's foreign executives. It's foreign executives. <laughs> like oh, what is man. that thing? It's foreign executive. And it's like just a silly thing that, you know, fills our time and distracts us. Absolutely. You saying these things like I I had forgotten about some of these little details, but it really is the details that make this movie what it is. And <laughs> And it's brilliant. And what it makes me think of, and I'm not sure if I ever made this connection before, but it kind of reminds me of in in college, um, I was a theater major and I got really into Federico Garcia Lorca and his hmm. uh, his work. So he, he wrote um, Blood Wedding and, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the name of the other big one that he wrote, but um, one that I really liked was called like When Five Years Pass or Once Five Years Pass. Um, oh, my God. This is driving me nuts. I have to look this up real quick. So at this moment while we were recording, my Internet stopped working, so I couldn't look it up at the time. I'm not sure exactly which one I was thinking of, but besides Blood Wedding and his prodigious body of poetry, Lorca is probably best known for his plays Yerma and The House of Bernarda Alba. If you don't know Lorca, look into him during your social isolation. He's one of my absolute favorite writers. Okay, back to the show now. But anyway, while, while this comes up, um, what, what he was famous for was that he kind of innovated in theater, and he did some film stuff as well. He was kind of like the playwright version of Salvador Dali, and he, he created this, um, this kind of concept that he called poetic logic. And so a lot of his plays don't necessarily, like, make sense according to the plot but they kind of have this like aesthetic cohesion and I feel like Brazil is a movie that has poetic logic even if it doesn't quite make sense I would take in that yeah but anyway blood wedding is the big one that he's known for um <laughs> and I studied this play called once five years past which is bonkers sort of very very much in the style of of brazil of like these little motifs keep coming into it and like like the main character keeps having a conversation with a cat um and (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i must watch this immediately i know right so good so good um but yeah no i think that i think those are really insightful thoughts about this about this film and it's kind of its purpose and how how it can be really valuable to watch it as as a inspiration for either filmmaking or just you know how you can express yourself in new creative ways and tell a story in non-linear creative ways right i guess on a, a slightly more serious note um yes i do feel like uh it deals with the reality of terrorism and mm-hmm. misinformation and sort of mm-hmm. like just this whole world that we kind of live in now and especially mm-hmm. like growing up in New York City with sort of 9-11 having happened and yeah. finding finding this movie not too long after that. I feel like there there was something to that very frank and in your face like, you know, handling of a world where things go boom and people kind of put up a screen but then also are constantly devouring information that just like inspires more fear. Um, and I think there's like 
I think processing that reality through the filter of filmmaking and of storytelling is something that I got a non-zero amount out of, to use a Sarah Shackett and Gabrielle Gabrielle Urbinaism, non-zero amount. (laughs) Absolutely. I do think, yeah, no, that that bears being said that it does deal with like some quite serious and quite like prescient social issues as well. And it does so with it like in a non-didactic way, um, I would say, but definitely like expresses feelings of of discomfort and dissatisfaction with the way the world was then and has probably become more so now at this point. <laughs> Leaned disturbingly into. Yeah. Not everything is connected by tubes, a series of tubes necessarily, but <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Metaphorical <No>. tubes. <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk's coming yeah. for us all. He is. He is. <laughs> with his tubes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I feel like that is kind of a nice point to end on unless you have any any other major thoughts. I could I could talk about this movie until the heat death of the universe. I totally I totally understand <laughs> and um I would love I would love to talk with you more about it and maybe we'll do a we'll do a, a revisit after after watching The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. But I think I think we've gotten some good big points out there without being too spoilery and so i hope that this conversation encourages you and inspires you to watch this movie if you haven't seen it or to rewatch it if you have because it is wild it is wild so zach is there anything i mean i mentioned some things earlier but is there anything that you would like to plug as a matter of fact there is thank you for asking emma yeah um so i guess the the first things first is No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. I sit down every week, twice a week these days, with Gabriel Urbina and Sarah Shackett and occasionally an amazing guest, um, and we pitch each other awful news stories and then have to turn it into a screenplay, a comic book, some story mm-hmm. that we actually would be excited to see, hear, read, etc. Um, so that's a blast, and uh, that's at nobadideaspodcast.com. Um, I just started a, a part-time job uh, as a podcast producer and host for a company called The Outline, and we'll be producing daily episodes of a show called the world dispatch uh wow. the outline world dispatch um it i think will only be available as a daily experience via google assistant so i think it's going to be like hey google tell me the news and it'll be one of those and, and we're sort of working out in the next couple of months how to turn those little stories into bigger weekly episodes cool. that we'll also do as a series of the same name and uh I'm learning a lot on the fly, and it is very exciting to be a part of the team. That sounds amazing, and like there's no better person for that job than you. I'm super excited about it, and everybody can check out uh, the Outline World Dispatch or go to theoutline.com for more information. That sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. Um, and yes, No Bad Ideas is phenomenal. Highly recommend it if you by some chance haven't listened to it yet. They're super, super fun. And because all the best things come in three, I have one more thing for everybody. Of course. 
uh, which is daily meditations. Uh, this is a mm. personal project that I've been doing. Uh, I got permission last year from the J. Krishnamurti Foundation to read uh, daily meditations by one of my favorite people who talks about it, Jiddu Krishnamurti. He's got a crazy story. Um, and uh, he was like a nine-year-old boy on a beach in India, kind of poor, and got abducted by a cult that oh saw his God. aura and decided he was going to be the vessel for the world teacher, only to burn down the cult in his 20s when what? he realized that nobody's an authority in religion. What? It, it's a crazy story. I don't get into any of that in the podcast. I just okay. read his meditations. Um, but uh, it, it's a fun project. You can check it out at focused.af. That's www.focused.af. No.com. I know. It's weird. It stands well. for as fuck, but it's actually Afghanistan, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, focused AF. Uh, you'll get one episode in your feed every day, and they go all the way back to January first. If you want to check out the backlog, that's amazing. I haven't I haven't listened to any of those yet, um, but I'm super excited. And I feel like that story is a story that Terry Gilliam could make a movie about. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I would like... pay so much money. Oh, Terry Gilliam, call me. Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Zach, thank you so much. This was delightful. I I am excited to rewatch Brazil and uh, and to make your your special nightmare cocktail. <laughs> oh, I really really advise you not to. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just let me know that you survived after. I w- I will if I if I'm ever brave enough to try it. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Emma. This was a blast. Thank you, Zach. Cheers. Clink clink. <laughs> <laughs> Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.